Welcome to the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast, where we are leading conversations in innovation and the global entrepreneurial mindset. In this podcast series, we are exploring the topic of women in technology and innovation, where we shine a spotlight on the remarkable women entrepreneurs, business and technology leaders who are changing the world through industry and innovation. My name is Samantha Walravens, and I'm an adjunct professor at Lehigh University as well as a journalist and an author with a passion for supporting and advancing women in their professional and personal lives. For those who don't know, the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center is a collaboration between Lehigh University and the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center in San Francisco. Our mission is to educate, connect, and inspire the next generation of global entrepreneurial leaders. Welcome to our audience from around the world who are joining us today for our discussion of women in technology and innovation, our young alumni panel. Today we're going to hear from three young alumni who are more recent entrants into the technology world who will share with us their perspectives on what it's like in their earlier stages of your career journey. They all live and work here in Silicon Valley, so I'm thrilled that they are here today to share their insights, advice, and stories with your audience. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our three panelists for today. We have Christine Kwan, who is a data scientist and engineer at Dropbox, where she specializes in growth analytics. Christine received her undergraduate degree in chemical engineering from Stanford University in 2015 and a master's in communications from Stanford in 2017. So welcome, Christine. Thank you, Sam. We also have Katie Pease, who is a deployment strategist at Stripe. She received her undergraduate degree in industrial engineering from Lehigh in 2009 and an MBA from the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley in 2016. Thank you for being here with us today, Katie. Thank you for having me. And third, we have um, Emma Catlin, who is a software engineer at Pinterest. She received her undergraduate degree in computer science and literary studies from Brown University in 2016. So welcome, Emma. Thanks. Before we start discussing your current jobs and what you do on a day-to-day basis, I want to take a step back and ask you all about your interest in technology and how it developed. Was there a person or maybe an experience or an event in your life that inspired you to pursue technology in school and then uh, in your career? So maybe we can start with Emma? Sure. Um, So I'm super blessed in that both of my parents studied computer science in college and went on to work in the tech industry. So I have two amazing role models um, while I was growing up who were in the tech industry already. Um, But my first moment of really experiencing coding myself was in my uh, freshman year of high school in my um, one of my math classes I had this assignment to code my TI-84 calculator and there were all these extra credit assignments I did them all I spent the whole weekend coding my calculator because I was having such a good time um, writing all the functions um, for all my geometry functions so that's really when I saw and knew like oh this is exciting these are just puzzles I can spend solving and I was really passionate about doing it. And did you pursue computer science throughout your college? I mean, I'm sorry, throughout your high school years too? As much as I could. um, I was lucky that my high school had an AP computer science class. So I took that my junior year, um, but we didn't have too much um, further beyond just the one or two classes I took. Okay. And Christine, what inspired you to pursue technology in school and career? Yeah, I think for me, high school was always like, I knew I loved math and science, but we didn't really have a strong computer science focus at my high school, so that didn't really develop for me until I got to freshman year of college, where I took my first coding class, and I was like, 
I think like the first moment I was able to like write lines of code and then like hit the run button and like it did something that responded to those lines of code. It was just like a really magical moment for me. And I think that was like what turned me towards like really understanding like the magic that like technology can bring. Great. Katie, you wanna share your, your earlier inspiration for technology? Yeah, definitely. Um, I did not study computer science, so my journey is a little bit different. Um, I My journey actually started, my grandma took me on a factory tour of Boeing when I was about seven or eight years old. Um, and I love the scale of manufacturing and the technical components that went into it. And I was really inspired by that. So at Lehigh, when I was choosing which major I was gonna pick, it really went down to like which ones I could work in aerospace and which ones would tie into uh, large-scale manufacturing um, and so that's how I picked which is uh, and my first career like my first job was actually in manufacturing of airplanes so yeah so two out of three of you actually did not major in computer science um, Katie you were industrial engineering and Christine you were a chemical engineering undergrad so when were you also taking classes in computer science during college? Did you minor in computer science? How, how did that develop? And how did you get the skills that you needed to continue a career in technology? In technology, yeah. Yeah, so I think the nice thing is like, I went to a college where they didn't really enforce, like you can take classes from any sort of department that you wanted. And so having that flexibility enabled me to just like take any classes that I thought were interesting. And at, um, Stanford, like CS106A was like the introductory computer science class that I think every freshman at some point takes because we hear from word of mouth of how well like executed it is, how much fun it is. And so like I think it was either my first or second um, quarter there where I took the class and from there I like developed an interest in it. But I was also interested in like chemical engineering and biology and all these other fields. So I really wanted to study that, but I pursued a minor in computer science just because after a few years, I like took enough um, computer science classes that I was like, oh, might as well just sign up for the minor. Katie? Definitely. So in tech, they need people of all different functions and all different um, like backgrounds and makeups. So for me, my entry into like the tech world of the Bay Area was through my experience in understanding processes and understanding systems. So I didn't know the code and I didn't know exactly how engineering processes worked, but I really understood how systems worked with each other. And then combining that with my information from like MBA and the business perspective of it, of combining those two, um, like the technical rigor of Lehigh with also the like global perspective, tech companies need a lot of people that aren't gonna be coding as well as people that are doing the coding. And that's a really important factor. I think that most people who are considering or who love technology don't realize that it's not just about coding, right? There are a lot of other aspects to technology and companies are hiring for a variety of different roles. Um, did, you, did you all start out your careers in coding? What was your, can you talk about your first job and what, what you were actually doing right out of school? Um, my first job was I was a manufacturing supervisor building F-22s, so definitely not coding. Um, that was, was at Boeing? Um, I ended up taking a job at Lockheed, but yeah, oh, very Lockheed. similar. Okay. Um, so that was my first job, which was very different. I didn't 
until I came back to the Bay Area, which was about like six years into my career, I didn't really work in like what would be considered like technology here. I always say I worked in like old school technology, um, which Lockheed still does write a lot. They write more lines of code than Microsoft, uh, but I wasn't in that part of the business. And what were you doing on a daily basis at Lockheed Martin? Um, I did a lot of process mapping and a lot of corrective action. So understanding what a, like a problem that occurred and then like finding the root cause of that, um, which is really applicable to working in technology because everything that happens, whether it's in code or whether it's a customer's reaction to something, you want to dissect it and understand why it happened and how you make sure it doesn't happen again. Christine, do you want to share with us your first job out of college and graduate school and yeah, what absolutely. you were doing? So I started out at a startup called Periscope Data. What that is, is it's sort of like a business intelligence platform that enables professionals to easily create dashboards um, by writing SQL. I started there as a solutions engineer, which was like a mix of being able to be customer facing as well as having some technical background to speak to people because like the nature of our software is rather technical. It requires having some technical knowledge to speak to sort of like our customers or our prospects. And through that, I developed sort of like a blend of soft and sort of technical skills. I really, all of my career paths have like been involved in like the data space. So I'm always writing SQL, always writing R Python to do analysis, but, um, in my first role, it was a lot more customer facing, and then I became a BI engineer and just kind of, um, then my customer shifted to more internal stakeholders. So I was building out dashboards or reporting for executive leadership, our sales team, our marketing team, our product team. So I got to really see like a breadth of how data is used across entire organization. And now at Dropbox, I'm doing something similar as a growth analytics engineer, where I'm helping um, our teams, particularly our growth product teams, really understand like the impact, the revenue impact of the different products that they build. So I guess like along the lines, it's like the common thread that like binds my kind of disparate career trajectory has been just like a love of data and using that to understand like either our users, our product, or our business as like a system. Emma, do I talk about your first job out of college? <laughs> well, I'm still at my first job out of college. Um, so I started at Pinterest um, after graduating as a software engineer. Um, I'm on our shopping partner experience team. Um, and so, yes, in my first job out of college, I was coding. Um, I will say, though, that the um, something that's helped me not just in my coding career at Pinterest um, was also the soft skills I have developed throughout my um, time at Brown and studying. Um, I interned at Pinterest before joining full-time, and in my first month of being at Pinterest as a full-time engineer, someone who was new to the old team I had interned on came to me and was saying, hey, can you explain to me this project that you worked on as an intern? Um, I need to you know, build on it now. And I was thinking to myself, shoot, it's been a year or over a year since I interned. I have no idea what I did. I don't remember that project. 
Thankfully, though, I had written a few very clear wiki pages um, that were still on the wiki when I joined full time a year later. So I showed up to that meeting and the first thing I said was, hey, have you looked at these wiki pages I wrote as an intern? And they were like, no, this is great. Thanks. And the meeting was done. I didn't have to help any further than that. (laughs) So definitely, even though I am coding as my day to day life my writing skills have helped too. Well, that's interesting because you're all, all three of you are very multifaceted individuals with, obviously with interests outside of just technology. So I was looking at your bios and I was just so impressed that Emma, you double major, right? In computer science and literary arts. And Christine, you got your master's in communications. And Katie, you went back to school for your master's in business. So t- talk a little bit about that. I mean, Emma, you talked about the soft skills needed. What, what else is needed besides just those hard technical coding skills to be successful in your jobs? I think like at the heart of it, like whatever tech or whatever organization you work at, you will likely be working with people. Even if you are coding with technology and you're kind of trying to tell machines to do something, there you're going to be like interfacing with humans and like the important like the great part of like joining any organization is that like there's sort of like a full force multiplier effect that comes into play when you get to like work with other people to sort of deliver on some product some sort of vision some solution and I think that's like a lot of there's like a lot of magic that happens there that we don't really emphasize a lot when we just think about or we kind of like think about like someone coding in the background like, yes, that, like, will help produce a, some, you know, functional product. But, like, to really get that out into the world, you need marketing, you need sales, you need, like, a whole sort of, um, a whole sort of, like, team to really, like, make, like, the impact that you really want to make. Yeah, that stereotype of the lonely coder, you know, in a dark room with, you know, living on Red Bull and M&Ms is just not accurate, right? Tell me about that, like about the, t- the work that you do with teams and how much of your work is actually like coding and writing on your own and how much of it is working with teams, collaborating. Um, so for me, because I'm still pretty junior as an engineer, I would say a lot of my time is alone coding. Um, but what I can't do the alone coding time without the support of my team and without the more senior engineers and my mentors on the team telling me and helping me figure out, oh, this is how you can solve this problem or um, have you thought about it this way um, or showing me guides to different things of how to do things. A lot of learning needs to happen for me, for me to be able to develop my career. And to do that, I need the rest of the team members um, from my team and from other teams to help me with that. Um, so even if I am, you know, doing a project by myself coding, I think, um, even if it feels like it's alone, it is a group effort because there's so many people supporting me in other ways. Is that the case for Katie and Christine? Can you comment on that? Is, is, are the earlier years a little more solitary coding or did you feel like it it was a different experience and that you had more collaboration early on in your careers? I think. So even if you are sort of working on your own and even when I'm like heads down doing an analysis and trying to like write, I don't know, some lines of code to like dissect like a data set, um, that is like still built on like the knowledge of someone else before me. And so like even when I'm like reading code or writing code, it's still like I'm trying to write code, like either SQL analytics code that's like readable by someone later 
because like at some point someone might need to reference it, someone might need to update and maintain it. So there is always like, I'm mindful of like, even if I'm not directly working with someone like pair programming or anything, like someone, I'm either reading code from that someone wrote before me to try to get contacts on like what's happening here. How do I like insert my project into like this huge repository that like came before me or being mindful that like I'm writing code for like perhaps someone else later on so that they can help maintain it. Cause I may not like always be working on this project indefinitely. Yeah, I think that's really well said is like every piece of work you do is going to be for someone else or integrate with someone else's work. Um, in my current role, I do technical work with our customers. And so I sit between an outside person that's working with Stripe and then an inside team that is designing a product. And so I'm very often asked a question by our customers and I you know, either look for internal material on it or I will go ask the engineering team for that information. And so it's really important in both those contexts to make sure you're speaking to the customer in the way that they understand and their teams understand, but then also when you switch to talking to engineers to understand the context that they want information and providing the information that they need. And so I would say pretty much all of my day is translating one person's set of information into another. Um, and as I've gone in my career, that's been more and more. Um, the people part of your job becomes uh, like more and more valuable. When I was working in product management in Silicon Valley way back, um, I was a product manager. So my job was basically to take what the customers wanted and tell the engineers, this is what the customers want. And the engineers were always so excited to showcase their like latest, greatest, you know, this is so fast and this is so, you know, compressed and this technology is so great. And I'm like, well, you know, the customers want X, Y, and Z. They don't care about how sexy your code is. <laughs> so it was always a struggle for me to, balance the needs of the customers with what the engineers were so excited about creating. But I want to go back a little bit and talk about the hiring process. Can you give some uh, advice or share your experience with getting a job? How did you go about doing it? How did you position yourself for getting a job? If you can just walk us through the experience, that would be fantastic. So first off, I just want to say not everyone, everyone has a different way of going about getting a job, especially right out of school. And my way definitely was not perfect and would not work for everyone. Like there were definitely flaws in what I did too. Um, I, since I did intern at Pinterest, they did give me a return offer um, pretty much right off the bat after that summer internship. But I wanted to make the decision for myself. I wanted to make a, um, inf an informed decision about where I was going. So to do that, I felt like I needed to interview with other companies as well um, to really see all my options, um, which meant I did a lot of interviews my fall of my senior year of college with a lot of different companies from you know, big companies like Google to startups that I, you know, literally ran into someone on the street in San Francisco and they were like, hey, are you looking for a job? And they were, um, <laughs> that, you know, startups from that level up too. Um, I did wear myself pretty thin though. I had to drop a class um, my, that fall of my senior year because I was doing too much um, interviewing and traveling back here to do interviews in person too for the onsite interviews. Um, so definitely some of my friends, you know, had that return offer from an internship or, you know, took the first job that they, um, 
got and were excited about and just finished at that point. Um, and I went kind of maybe too over the top um, and wore myself a little thin interviewing. Yeah, I will say I had similar experiences, Emma, where it's just like, just be mindful that it is sort of like a full course load um, when you are interviewing and just be like mindful of like budgeting time for that because it does end up taking like the prep time, the travel time, like searching for jobs, like the back and forth. It like ends up piling up in terms of like time and commitment and effort. Um, I guess like what I'll add is like, I know it's a little difficult to sort of know exactly what you're looking for coming right out of college. I think like my advice there is like, if you have internships or any sort of experiences to like draw on, um, just sort of like try to have like a few moments before you like start the job process to sort of like understand what you're really looking for, like what's important to you when you're evaluating different opportunities. Is it like the people you're working with? Is it opportunities for growth? Is it really important to have a manager? These are things that you'll definitely like learn more about like as you kind of do your first job. But like I also had like a very light criteria of like, okay, it really matters to me to have um, flexibility in like choosing my projects. I want like some agency me able to do that. And so searching for like being able to like interview the interviewers afterwards and kind of suss out like what opportunities are best for you. Um, I think that's like a little bit of advice I wish I'd done more of um, when I was looking for my first job. Can I ask about the technical interview? I have a son who's going through that process right now. <laughs> and those are difficult, you know, it's over the phone, it's over Zoom, um, and then in person. Any advice on how to get through that process? I guess I'll jump in first. Mine will probably be a little bit different because mine are like data and analytics technical interview, and it's like a s different sort of set of skills than like coding. So mine bent very heavily on just like knowing like, do you know sort of your basic stats? Do you know SQL? What I'll say is like when you are going through these interviews, even if it's technical, people are more just trying to evaluate your thought process and how you problem solve, at least in my case. And so I know it's like kind of weird to narrate your thought process as you're writing any like bits of code, um, but that's actually what people want to hear. And even if you don't completely like like have perfect syntax or whatever, especially if you're doing a whiteboard exercise, it's okay. Cause they're more just like trying to suss out, do you understand the principles? Like, do you have like the right logic in place? Um, and so I think like just over communicating, even during like a technical process where you're more used to kind of just like typing on a computer is actually really helpful. I think too, everyone prepares differently. So knowing yourself and knowing what you need to prepare um, will help you because sure, some people do a ton of mock interviews and are doing all these coding challenges to prepare themselves, but that might not be what you need to do to prepare. So knowing yourself, maybe you just need to practice talking or you need to practice your confidence. For me, it was just a confidence thing going in. I just needed to focus on making sure I didn't stress out and freak out before the interview. And if I didn't do that, I would be successful. Um, and some of my friends were needed to feel to feel that confidence. They needed to do, you know, the 10 coding challenges before the interview to prep. Um, so just figuring out what the right thing for you to do is. I want to switch a little bit. You both actually two people talking about mentors, the importance of mentor mentorship. Can you talk about how you go about early on in your career, how you go about seeking mentors and what that mentor mentee relationship looks like for you? Yeah, 
So I've never been a fan of having like really formal mentors that you call a mentor and you meet once a month on like a really formal basis. Like that's really uncomfortable for me. So I've always found my mentors a lot more gradually and informally. Um, And really what I've done is I've seeked out people in both like my work and my personal life that I really respect and look up to and then come to them when I have a problem that they are the right person to answer. So I would say I probably have 15 mentors and I talk to them at different amounts of intervals depending on what subjects I want to talk about and what's really relevant. Um, Also, I would say don't be afraid to ask people for help in their time. When you are generally curious about something they know, it is flattering to that person as well as to you and people really want to help. And so be willing to put yourself out there. I wouldn't just like blindly go on LinkedIn messaging people, but like if you're customizing it to the person because you find something about them that is worth you knowing, then that will come through in how you speak with them. Yeah, I would definitely like highlight that as well. Be very purposeful about like what you're hoping to sort of gain from this. I too like don't really have formal mentors. It's just like, I'm a big believer of having like knowledge like when you need it at like that right time. So it's like very relevant. And so when I'm like asking people for like a specific piece of advice or their expertise or opinion on something, it's like very timely. And so it feels like relevant. So it's not like I'm just reaching out to them for like a blanket general life advice. Um, so I would just say be very purposeful in what you're hoping to learn from them. And um, I actually also really early in my career like leaned on peer mentors a lot. So not necessarily people who are like five or 10 years out from you, but like maybe people who are one or two years or just like even in your same group, because I feel like you can also learn from the people who serve around you as well. And I think that was just something I picked up in college where you're constantly around people who are your age. And it's like really easy also to reach out to them because there's not like as formal sort of like a vibe around it so I would also like seek out peer mentors as well Emma go ahead for for me I've done both of the um ways of like doing a very formal mentorship program and doing a kind of informal more mentor relationship building over time um because um I wanted I was seeking to have some woman mentors too, um, specifically. So from that perspective, I looked at Pinterest and we actually have this awesome um, mentor circle program for women engineers. Um, So I reached out to some of my other previous coworkers and said, hey, like I heard about this and they offered for me to join their mentor circle, which has been a super amazing experience because Um, It's a very informal setting and it's kind of whatever we want to make of it, but it has um, women engineers who are both more senior and like myself, much more junior. And we all have even the people who are my same age or just a few years older than me have super valuable advice to give me um, to from the peer mentorship perspective. And then for the like less formal mentorship, I don't know, path that I followed to finding a mentor over time, I built up a tr- like trust relationship with one of the more senior engineers on my team and through that process like I don't even know if he would consider himself my mentor if he's thought about it from that perspective but throughout working with him I view him now as my mentor and go for him for things that I would seek mentorship advice on 
Um, so that feels much more informal and was just kind of a natural growth of the relationship. And this segues, segues nicely into our the next topic, which is what does your company do to support and encourage you as a woman in tech? I mean, we know the numbers are still pretty low, like less than 25% of tech workers are women. You're still in the, very much in the minority. Um, so two questions. One is, do you feel this? Do you feel the sense of like, I'm one of the only women in the room? And number two, what do your respective companies do to sort of support you um, and encourage you in your careers? Yes, I feel it, and definitely differently at, in different jobs and careers, uh, like different points in my career. Most or almost all companies I've been at have like a women's uh, like employee resource group, and so there's always kind of like a community that you can go to and find a place where you'll be surrounded uh, by women, and that's really helpful. Also, um, I think a lot of women in technology want to help the next person because they went through it. And so there's always been somebody within an organization that's willing to like help me, coach me, or talk to me when I am feeling frustrated in a situation. Um, I've also been blessed by really good male advocates in all of my roles that like they also saw it and they would help speak up for me when I felt frustrated or when I didn't feel like my voice was being heard. And then lastly, I think benefits are getting a lot better. So. My company has four months of both maternity and paternity leave, which is great because that means like the men as well as the women will take that time. And that has like a huge benefit to how women are seen in the organization, like when they want to have children. And stuff, so. I don't have too much more to add to that. I've had similar experiences where I've also been really lucky to be sort of surrounded by really supportive, like both male and female sort of coworkers. So there, even if I am like the only female in the room, like there will be like sort of male allies that will like ask for my opinions in meetings. Cause I think like oftentimes, like I might just be like absorbing something or I might like feel like I'm really junior here. Do I really have a voice in this meeting? But I find that like there are a lot of people um, like male managers or some whatnot, especially when I kind of make it a point to sort of um, ask them to help me speak up more they will like call me out and be like hey what do you think about this project or this idea so I think it's also like if you notice it as well communicate it to like your managers or your male co-workers and they can also help you sort of like be more vocal in meetings or like have more of a voice um, on your team as well anything to add to that Emma uh, sure I'll just say Pinterest is really amazing from the inclusion perspective. And for me personally, when I was interviewing, um, that was one of the things I was focusing on and cross interviewing the interviewer on how inclusive the company felt um, because I knew I wanted to be at a place where I felt comfortable and safe and in that sort of environment I could grow. Um, so that's part of the reason I picked Pinterest to um, start working there. Um, and I'd say it like just, looking out for those things, those benefits that help people for more inclusive practices. Like even in the interviewing process, if um, you're a nursing mother, we provide access to the mother's room and can do a different um, interview schedule um, based on your needs or, um, yeah, based on your needs. Um, so focusing on things like that is something that was really important to me to see the company I work at to focus on. Um, 
So I'm really happy to be at Pinterest because they've put so much focus on inclusion and even inclusive um, meeting structures and how we can reevaluate our meetings to make sure everyone has time and to share their voice. The stories about sexism in Silicon Valley are abundant. You can't escape the headlines on a daily basis, even today, after the Me Too movement and everything else has gone on to support women in tech and to stop this kind of sexist attitude, behavior. Um, I don't want you to like out anyone at your companies, but have you experienced even even um, microaggressions? Like I think about Susan Fowler at, at Google when she said her team, uh, her manager bought uh, leather jackets for her team because they hit some big milestone and they didn't the jackets that they found weren't they couldn't find one in a woman's size so they just left her out of that anything that like have you experienced that in any way big or small and what advice do you have for uh for other women and men on dealing with these situations so for me personally i've had problems with people speaking over me in meetings um which has been a huge growth um, or growth opportunity for my team. Um, so for me, I was struggling with figuring out how to give people this feedback of, you know, hey, this doesn't make me feel like I can express my voice and my voice is a lot softer than some of the men on my team. So I can't yell over them. I just am not able to do that versus they are very easily able to yell over me. Um, so it was a lot of working with my mentor um, and saying, like, how like how can I best deliver this feedback to people and figuring out, you know, what works? Can I pull them aside after the meeting, like right after it happens, be like, hey, this happened. Like, it didn't feel super great. I'm sure it was not your intention to do that. And just figuring out the right way to give different people feedback around it, because everyone wants to receive feedback differently and um, different people need to receive feedback in different ways for it to be effective. Um, and now we're doing a lot better and I'm able, you know, people listen to me once I was able to figure out what the right way to give that feedback was. And they were just like, oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea I was doing it. So just being able to, you know, speak up for myself, um, and deliver the feedback in a, you know, actionable way, um, was really helpful. Um, I think for me, I joined an all male team at one point in my career and, like, the, my teammates were really great, but I think there were, like, certain elements of just, like, socially where they would just talk about, I don't know, um, sports or, like, going to, um, I don't know, the local bar and drinking beer after work or something, where it was, like, slightly different than sort of, like, a, like, sort of lifestyle that, like, a more balanced team would sort of, like, just casually talk about. I think, like, my advice there is just to, like, talk to your team and be like very communicative about like hey so I know like you had like a more slightly more bro-y culture like before I joined but like as especially if you're sort of like the first female on a all-male team just kind of like insert sort of your own sort of I don't know personal touches to like hey I want to like organize like this outing for our team instead because I feel like you know I'd rather us like go to do a cooking class it's like our team bonding event instead of going like paintballing or something so i think like for that i would just say like communicate to your manager or your teammates and i find that like they tend to be like pretty receptive to sort of like hearing that 
in my career, I've experienced everything from like microaggressions through like full, full discrimination. Uh, like I've very much experienced the gamut, and my thought process around it is, I am strong, and I should communicate it to others for the next person that comes behind me. And so I've always been very vocal with my manager or my organization whenever whenever something came up where I felt discriminated against because I think it's really important for the people that come after in the same way that others made it easy for us to work in the Bay Area and us to get these like great, wonderful tech jobs. And so that's always been my theory around it is really like paving the way for the next person. Great. Well, thank you so much, Katie, Christine, and Emma for sharing your stories, your advice, your insights with our audience today. Thank you for joining the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast content. To learn more about us, go to nasdaqcenter.lehigh.edu or follow us on Instagram at Lehigh NASDAQ Center. Thank you.